0: Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. It's a great chapter all the way through. Uh, Matter of fact, if I had about six weeks, I could teach just the first verse about the value of a good name. Amen. I wish I had time to tell you about it tonight, but it's really hard to promote his name if our name's not good. Amen. And so it's valuable to have a good name. I I was preaching... uh, must have been last Wednesday night about how when the Lord cleans you up, there may be some things you need to clean up after he's cleaned you up. Why is that important? Because a good name is vitally important. But tonight our focus is the 28th verse of Proverbs 22. And um, I'm going to be very brutally honest with you. I've seen this verse beat to death before. And I've seen it, I don't want to say abused, but I've seen people... Dig a grave at both ends of and wear a rut in the middle. But it's important to understand the confines of the word of God. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Amen. amen. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Let's read it together. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Someone say amen to the reading of the word of the Lord. I want to talk to you tonight about the value of the landmark. and You may be seated. So in your text tonight that we read, the wise man is speaking concerning a landmark, the value of that ancient landmark. And it's something very interesting. I want to be careful how I say this. I want to tell you that some guys have built their ministries on hills that aren't worth dying on. Is that all right? Some people have built their ministries on hills that aren't worth dying on. Well, what, what what are you saying? Well, I learned this lesson from a wise man of God some time ago, been praying that God would strengthen him. His name is Brother Ballastero. He just recently had a bad spell, and we need the Lord to touch him, but... Brother Ballistero was teaching some things that helped me so much, and he was talking about as a child how that there were things that became so important to men uh, in his life, men that were standing behind a pulpit and they were beating things to death. There were guys preaching against hairspray, people preaching against chocolate, people preaching against coffee, because it's a strong drink. preaching against any color shirt except for a white shirt. And, you know, I, I get it. I, you know, I've been there. I've, I've seen that. I've preached for some of those people. Um, and if that's a conviction that God gives you, it's probably wise for you to walk in that conviction. But the point that I want to make to you tonight is that if we're not careful, we're going to take convictions that God has given us personally And make them an ancient landmark. And they're not ancient. Now some of you might have thought I was getting ready to diminish the power of the conviction. Because if God has given you a conviction to wear nothing but white shirts for the rest of your life. Then I'm going to tell you. You ought to be wearing nothing but white shirts for the rest of your life. But the power of this is understanding what I'm saying to you about the scripture is that I've heard men preach to remove not the ancient landmark and then talk about a certain tie or a certain shirt and we understand anything from history as a matter of fact Brother Lang and I have had this conversation many times through the years that you can't speak of anything ancient in the scripture and it not be before Christ. It has to be B.C. in timeline, before the coming of the Messiah the first time. If it's ancient, it has to be before the coming of our Lord. It's old. And I know that some of us have this idea, but I want to tell you that John Baptist didn't come out of the wilderness in a suit and tie preaching. That wasn't an ancient landmark. Now the reason why I wear a suit and a tie, and I'm not going to get on this for a long time, i got to teach to you tonight. The reason I wear a suit and tie is because I feel like God deserves my best. Amen. And if your best is a a button-up shirt and a pair of jeans, wear it. Give God your best. Because there are some folks that can't afford to go buy themselves a suit, so we got to quit judging other people and saying it's an ancient landmark because they don't have a suit and tie on like Pastor does. Give them a little time. Let them start paying those tithes. God will give them increase. They'll be able to afford whatever they want to wear to church. But my point to you is there's some things in this church that I'm not willing to move on. If you're on this platform as a man, you're going to have a tie on. If you're a lady, there's going to be certain things that you do, and I'm not going to get into all of it tonight. Uh, but, But my wife's pretty settled on it. She wants your hair up in the choir, and she wants certain things. And I agree with 100%, but what I'm going to tell you is it's not an ancient landmark. It's conviction. It's something that we feel very strongly about. So, I want to talk to you about the value of a landmark, but I want to be certain tonight to make it clear to you that a landmark, an ancient landmark, is not a conviction. Because for some people, and, and I really don't want to dig this out too deep right here and mess myself up, i got a long way to go in a short time to get there. For some people, their convictions become negotiable. And so that is the issue with preaching about conviction is at some point you're going to have to stand behind what you're convicted about. And when it comes home to your house, you better still be able to stay convicted about it. And if you're not still convicted about it, it wasn't a conviction to start with. It was a preference. Can I get an amen from the choir loft tonight? I have many, many convictions. There are things that my wife and I choose to do and choose not to do that are not black and white in the pages of Scripture, but I choose to do it because it separates me from this world. It's another layer of separation, and I believe in it. So what I want to begin with tonight, and if it's okay with you, it's... 7.28, 7.28, I'm going to move a little bit slowly maybe tonight. I'm going to try to get you out right on time, but is it all right if I just teach about an hour tonight? Is that okay? I know you may be tired. I'm tired too. Can, can I take a little time here? I want to begin by telling you that the world that you and I live in, it is not designed to help you live for the Lord. The job that you work in, unless it's in an apostolic environment like this, it is not designed to help you live for God. We live in an anti-world. It is anti-God. It is anti-holiness. It is anti-religion. It is anti-scruples. It is absolutely anti-holiness. How do you know that, Pastor? You're kind of being judgmental. You're walking out. There's a reason why the apostles said in the book of Acts, Save yourself from this untoward generation. What does that mean? It means they are anti-everything we are. Now, some use this as a purpose to build their little platform on and say, Oh, well, the world's after us. We're persecuted. I want to stand up and tell you on this night, You are not persecuted because you have conviction that the world doesn't have. The world has never had conviction. But where I have issue with it is when the world affects people of conviction that used to be convicted and they're not convicted anymore because they let the world set the precedent for their conviction. If you have your Bibles tonight, get ready to roll with me. If you're taking notes, get your pen out and write some of this down. I'm going to help somebody. Why do we live the way we live first john 2 and 15. i want to teach to you i want to help you tonight first john 2 15 love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is now that's not pentecostal rhetoric that is not a conviction it's a non-negotiable Don't love the world. When I talk about the world, you know I'm not talking about the people in the world. I'm not talking about your aunts and cousins and uncles and brothers and sisters and the server at the restaurant that you were ugly to because they lived a different lifestyle than you do. So you said, I'm not going to leave them a tip because of the kind of button they had on. We better love people. Well, I know they're not my kind of religion. I'm not going to invest in them. You better love people. I'm not talking about the land. I'm not talking about uh, the place where we live. I love the United States of America. I thank God for it. I'm glad to be an American. I love America. That does not mean that the love of the Father is not in me. But I do want to tell you this. I, I can't stand, if I could just use some strong language. You may tell your kids not to say this, but I'm going to say it tonight. I hate the idolatry of America. I hate it. It does you no good to preach against TV if you don't preach against the spirit of Hollywood. It's not the box that's the problem. It's the agenda that's being set and promoted. And it is anti-Christ. It is anti-God. And it is anti-Holy Ghost. When the apostle said, don't love the world or the things that are in the world, what he was saying is... Don't become attracted to or attached to the world. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. But he did not just stop by saying, don't love this present world. He actually put something on the end that scares me to death. And it's kept me before the Lord. Now I've got four days left in my 30s. And it's kept me before the Lord for the better part of almost 40 years now. That if you love the world. Or the things that are in the world. Then the love of the Father is not in you. That's strong language. You cannot say I love God. And love the things of this world. I was in a conversation with some guys in a group of guys this week. And some of them were asking me did you see such and such movie? I said no. They said you see this movie? I said no. They said you watch this ball game? I said no. And finally, after saying no about 749 times, I said, guys, I don't watch it. I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in the agenda that they're promoting. It'd be different if they were running up and down the court putting a ball in a hoop. That's not what they do anymore. They become actors. Come on, somebody. They're promoting agendas of hatred. And then we're letting our kids buy their $200 shoes, investing in their kingdom. I've come to tell you tonight, I don't love this world. I do not promote agendas that say some people matter more than others and that others are always going to be a certain way. What I'm telling you is that's what the blood of Jesus came to fix and eliminate that problem. The blood of Jesus doesn't care if you're white. The blood of Jesus doesn't care if you're Hispanic. It doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus came to fix that problem. Now, I'm not a fan of other translations of scripture, y'all know that, I don't, I don't like it, but I do sometimes sit down and parallel to see, and I read the message quite often in my personal reading, and I like the way that Eugene said this, he said, uh, the love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father, are you hearing what I'm saying, the love of the world pushes out, it squeezes out, it does not leave room for the love of the Father. Now I'm going to teach to you pretty strong tonight, okay? Someone was talking to me the other day about sports again. They were talking about how into it their kids were. I said, well, there's 11 starters on the offense and 11 starters on the defense. That's 22 and your kid can name all of them. Can they name the 12 Apostles? What we're investing in our children is what they're going to become. And I don't mean this ugly tonight whatsoever. Please don't think that that I'm trying to set my own agenda. I believe in this book and everything that it says. But you listen to what I'm telling you tonight. Brother Wendell, LeBron doesn't set the agenda for this youth department. Doesn't work. I know it may sound simple to you, and I'm going to take you back to Sunday school, but I still believe red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. I still believe it. I still believe it. And a love for the world squeezes out the love of the Father in your life. You can't love Him, and you can't love like He loves if you've got a love for this present world. Here, I want to tell you. If you love this present world and you listen to Pastor very closely tonight, I want this to penetrate your soul right now and be stuck in your mind. If you keep pursuing after the world, sooner or later, you're going to have to pick sides. Right. Woo. First John 2 and 16. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Come on now. Oh, that's not of the Pentecostal church. That's not what it says. It's not of God. But what's it of? All that is in the world, the sum total that is in the world, every part of it, every idea, its theology, its idea of what God is, its philosophy. Its lifestyle, all of it falls into one of these three categories the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let me lay them down for you. The lust of the flesh is pleasing to the carnal desires and the will of your own body. Somebody say, Body. Body. The lust of the flesh. And I would step out on a limb tonight to tell you that our greatest battle is not going to be demonic spirits of warfare. It's going to be the lust of your flesh. Oh, well, I had a demon manifest. You know why you had a demon manifest? Because you were feeding your flesh with the spirit that that demon carried. It's not a demon problem. It's a flesh problem. The lust of the eyes, the eyes are the gateway to your soul. What your eyes see are forever locked in. If you read scientifically, they say that image is forever seared. Even if you don't remember it, it's stuck in your mind for the rest of your life until you die. That image is seared in your mind. And it's amazing the things that you cannot unsee. But the reason we saw it in the first place is because we chose to see it. And the scripture said that the lust of the eyes is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the pride of life, woo is this a big one? Because so often pride is shrouded in false humility. Pride is so often shrouded in false spirituality. Arrogance, but oh, I'm so spiritual. you got to watch those kind of people you got to watch those people that are more spiritual than everybody else. And everything is always about hickamo, hokey, and go get it done. Look, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, folks, they're, they're human. They bleed just like you bleed. They have bad days just like you have bad days. And if they're prideful and they're arrogant, you don't want them pouring into your life. Somebody shout amen or oh me. I'm doing my best. I'm 10 minutes in. I'm gonna hurry. But I want this to be as plain as it's ever been to you tonight. There is a great chasm that is fixed between the holy and the unholy. There is a large chasm between holiness and worldliness. There is a tremendous difference. This is not just my teaching, this is in your Bible. We're gonna hit it tonight. There is a difference between God's people And sinful people. When we say the world, what we're talking about is people who not only embrace sin, but they despise holiness. And we must be the opposite. It is not enough to say that we love holiness. You've got to despise iniquity. Leviticus 10.10 And that you may put difference. Between the holy and the unholy. And between the unclean and the clean. Difference. That word difference is so powerful. It means a dissimilarity, a contrast, a distinction to be sure that there is a differentiation, a certain variance. That there is no question as to where the line is drawn. The holy and the clean are vastly different from the unholy and the unclean. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6 and 16, and I love this so powerful, 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now this is, this is awesome. It's a word study. What agreement. Somebody say, What agreement? That word agreement simply means, the language of that word agreement is that you cast your vote with them. I want to help somebody. (laughs) Woo, that just got tight pretty quick. The word agreement means to cast your vote with them. You better be careful what you're buying into. I'm telling you right now, I'm voting for a kingdom and a city that was not made with hands, whose builder and maker is God. I am not casting my vote in this world. I'm not casting my vote for their agenda. I'm not casting my vote for their idolatry. I refuse to cast my vote with them. I do not want to be in a spirit of agreement With this world you are the temple of the living God and you've been filled with the promise of the Holy Ghost and there is nothing more precious than the gift of the Holy Ghost and when you forfeit the Holy Ghost you have cast your vote with this world. With them, I will be in them, I will dwell in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's easy to read that and just run by it. Do you know what it means when he said, They shall be my people? That means you are not your own anymore. You don't make decisions for yourself anymore and say, well, I'm going to make me happy. That's the lust of the flesh. I want to please myself. That's the pride of life. It's the lust of the eyes. Hear this, preacher, when I tell you tonight, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, and it's the most beautiful gift that you've ever received in your life. My wife six months it will have been 20 years ago that my wife said i do to me she said i'll take care of you i'll love you when you're sick she has she's walked in there put that cold rag on my head when i'm barfing she's a good woman she said i love you in sickness and health for better or worse bless her heart sometimes i think i'm more worse than i am better i think she even said i might give you some sugar The I do wasn't just for her. I had a responsibility back to her. To provide for her a place to live. To take care of her needs. To protect her and provide for her the best of my ability. Because she said, I do. I walked out of Calvary Tabernacle on December the 1st, 2001 with a responsibility. God said, I will dwell in my church. I will walk with them. I will be their God. And I will let them be my people. What I'm saying to you is that is not a one-sided responsibility. We also have a responsibility to the groom. 2 right. Corinthians 6 and 17. Oh, I want to help somebody. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye. Now this is the value of where we're at. And I, and I can't get stuck right here because i got a long ways to go. But I'm going to teach this. Very, very closely. Listen to what I'm telling you. If you're looking for a loophole and a way out, you can always find some carnal person that will agree with you. And this is what they'll say about standards in the 21st century church. So you're saying to me, Jesus had to wear a suit. You're saying Jesus had to You're saying those women dressed like our women. You're saying that in Bible times those women wore jean skirts. No, I'm not saying that at all. The, the word here is Separate. I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, Michael Kors and all these people, they didn't exist in Bible times. Jesus wasn't wearing a Versace robe. You understand what I'm saying? Well, you're going going to say that men have to do this and women have to do that. You know, Jesus walked around in a robe. Yes. And it was very distinctly different than the robes that women wore. It was manly apparel and it was female apparel. There was there was a. Great distinction in what they wore. And so I'm saying to you today that once you start bringing Levi Strauss into the conversation, you've already walked out of the Word of God. It doesn't have anything to do with who created the britches. It has everything to do with who's separate and who's not. Well, you guys are putting things that's not in the Bible. So let me help you right now. It does not say to dress like Jesus dressed and like Mary the mother of Jesus dressed. He said come out from among them. Who's them? The world and be separate from what they're doing. If the world's doing it and the world endorses it, we don't. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Now, I'm going to answer this in just a little bit, but I want you to, want you to answer this in your mind right now. We're going to deal with it in a few minutes. Come out from among them and be separate. Who sets the lines for separation? Touch not the unclean thing. Who says what's clean and unclean? Because I can tell you, oh, Lord, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm just going to say it like this. There were some kids running around a certain campground one time during a church camp. They said they were clean. But when their luggage was inspected, all the clean drawers were still in the luggage. They hadn't been wrenching off in the shower. They thought they were clean, but they weren't. So somebody has to come into their life and say, hey, go clean up. Because what you're calling clean isn't clean. There's fungus among us. <laughs> Am I? Oh God. When I come out from among them, I separate myself unto God, and I refuse to touch the unclean thing. And He promised. You can read it for yourself. He promised. I will receive you. Now, folks, this is contrary to to popular theology. How many do we have here today that received Christ? And they stand by the scads. How many of you received Christ into your life today? Oh, yeah, sure. I did. Oh, well, good, you're saved. And so the apostle wants us to understand very clearly right now. You can say you've received him, but the real question is. Oh, see, y'all are preaching so good. Isn't it amazing that the Lord was legalistic? What? Oh, them Pentecostals are so legalistic. They said, oh, man, they put all this stuff out. You know, the Lord, this is the purest definition of legalism. If you'll come out from among them, be separate, and don't touch the unclean thing, then I'll receive you. And that's very clear that that's what it takes for him to receive us. So if we're not separated from the world and we're touching the unclean thing, what does that mean? Man, I bet if somebody had a rotten tomato, they'd fling it right now. Second Corinthians 6 and 18, the next verse. He said, I'll receive them and I'll be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the preacher. There's only one Almighty. Let me be clear to you tonight. Everybody doing okay? Hey, we're 20 minutes in. I'm, I'm digging hard. I believe in systems... I believe in clear lines. Bishop, I believe, I believe that lines ought to be really clear. And if, if, if there's anybody here that doesn't believe that, let him purchase a piece of property. And let your next door neighbors just start building a shed on your property and then tell me lines don't matter. Man, what do you think you're doing? I'm building a shed. You're on my property. How do you know? Uh, because I said that's mine. It's yours because you purchased it. Oh, God have mercy. And you got a deed to it. And that deed is signed and it says that this is the boundary. Somebody say the landmark. landmark. This is the landmark where yours starts. And this is the landmark where theirs starts. And if they come across your line, they're on your property, and they can't build their things on your property. I like knowing exactly where my property is. I don't think I ought to share the story, but then I think I should. One time, there was a lady that I liked really well that was living in a new home to that that family, and she mowed grass and happened to get on the neighbor's grass. And we found out very quickly that the woman had mowed on the neighbor's grass. I just gave it away, didn't I, that we found out. Whew. I was so proud of her. She got there and mowed. What? You mean you let your wife mow? You ought to talk her out of it. She's like, it gives me peace and quiet to hear that mower run. I'm like, all oh. right. All right, now she don't mow every time. I'm not a, I'm not a lazy sloth. It's okay. <laughs> but you don't think lines matter. I, I, just want you, I just want you to go to your next-door neighbor, mow a figure eight in their front yard, and then tell me lines don't matter. Please don't try it. <laughs> They'll be calling some of the men in this church saying, hey, we, we need you over here right now. I want to read to you an article. I found this blip from a 2011 article. And I don't really like the New York Times, but this was an article by Dr. Kostika Bradenton. This is what the article said about walls. Listen to this very clearly, folks. I hope I'm not losing you tonight. In a world of uncertainty and confusion, I'm quoting, a wall is something to rely on. Something standing right there in front of you, massive, firm, reassuring. Now, that may be some of the only truth that that periodical has put out, but that's pretty true. Lines are important because they give clarity. Lines are important because they bring security. Let me teach you tonight and get down in your heart to help you realize that the agenda of this world, they're working overtime. Hear, Pastor, very clearly tonight, they're working overtime to blur Lines. You can't remove historical monuments because you don't like what history to deal with it. It's history. Hope to God we learned from it. You know, I'm so sick of this cancel culture, canceling everything they don't like. I have Jewish friends that have walked through Auschwitz and we're tearing down statues. At universities of American presidents. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? You can't change the course of history. It happened, it's what it was, and I hope we learned about it. But this world is doing everything they can to blur the lines. Oh, no, they're not, Pastor. Oh, yes, they are. Whether dealing with immigration, immorality, What are you going to do when you walk into stores and it don't have a sign over it anymore that says boys, girls, men, ladies? You want men walking through the lingerie department while your wife's trying to buy undergarments? Woo! Boy, it's quiet on a Wednesday night. Are you all right with men walking in the bathroom while your little granddaughters or daughters are in the bathroom using the toilet? trying to blur the lines oh don't you don't you judge don't you don't you judge them i have a very dear friend that just recently had a situation In their church. And the reason I'm telling you this. Is because you can count on. The enemy wants to distract us. And blur every line that he can. And this friend told me. He said I had a couple that came in. He said they looked absolutely apostolic. From the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Until one of the people in the church recognized the wife. And the wife was a former evangelist. Apostolic evangelist man. That decided he wanted to be a she. And then she married he. And these two former preachers are now husband and husband but she wants to look like a wife and they are overseers of a work that they call an apostolic church with a choice I feel like I'm wielding the sword tonight brother Snow they said that woman the, one, the man that wanted to be a woman went to the ladies' restroom and started to go in, and God gave the grace and wisdom to one of their ushers to step between him and the bathroom door and said, Excuse me, but we would kindly ask that you use the male restroom while you're here, please. There's some things that we're going to have to deal with that are not fair, but this is why it's important that we keep the lines as clear as they've ever been. Because there's going to be a certain time that comes to you that once you've moved all the lines, you don't have anywhere to stand. And you're going to have to pick sides. Some of us think because it's not our kids that it's not going to come to roost. I'm telling you, it's the spirit of the age. It's the spirit of the world. And they want to blur the lines. But our answer tonight is no, a million times no. We're going to believe in the power of a landmark. Remove not the old landmark. Enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Oh God, this is so powerful. The landmarks that Solomon was talking about were the landmarks that were established by God Almighty himself. When the children of Israel moved into the land of promise and every tribe and every family got their own piece of ground. The Lord felt very strongly about those lines. As a matter of fact, He said, if you try to move your neighbor's landmark, you're cursed. The Lord felt very strongly about that. The landmark, if I, if, man, if y'all don't, if, if you don't get anything, I need you to get this right here. Listen to Pastor closely. The landmark located the inheritance. Yeah. Right. Woo, God. Everything inside the landmark was about. The inheritance. But on the other side of the landmark were the fields of the fatherless. It was the land that was given to the people that had no heritage. Oh my God. Those who had no father had no inheritance. But as long as you're inside the landmark, You have a father, and you have an inheritance, and you have a future, and you have a place for your children to live and to dwell and to build. It's in your inheritance. It belongs to you. But when you move the landmark or you cross the line, you lose the inheritance. I'm trying to help somebody to realize tonight, please don't think that I'm saying this to be mean, but you can't call him your father and dwell on the other side of the line of the inheritance. It was the land of the fatherless. It was the place of the father. He is not your father. Once you move the landmark and move outside the line. Tell your neighbor tonight, pastor likes fences. I'm going to say this lady's name wrong, but I want to read you a, a blip from Dr. Christina Cochimadova's essay called The Culture of Offense." Are y'all bored yet? I quote, having a strong visibility bias, the fence is an open declaration of intention. Oh God. It says on the part of an occupant, I am here and planning to stay here. She further stated in the Burgundian law of the 12th century stipulated that even the lands given by kings to his servants should be marked off by definite boundaries. Even the land of the servants should have been marked off By definite boundaries. So now, I'm going to get into the part that gets a little bit sensitive. Everybody with me? It's an honor to be your pastor. But I'm going to tell you something tonight that maybe you don't know. And Bishop and I have this conversation on a frequent basis. For people that have, I want to be a pastoritis, I think the best thing for them to do is try to pastor for a little while. I have a very close friend of mine that... Looked me square in the eyes and he said to me, he said, I will never try to be a pastor again. Outside of raising my children, loving my wife, leading this church is the heaviest load I've ever carried in my life. I know some may believe that you just work two days a week, get up, preach a little bit, scream and holler. Go out to eat. And that's your week. I'm going to tell you there's some biblical precedent that weighs heavy on my mind. I've preached this in this church of the years a hundred times. Exodus the 19th chapter, the 10th verse. Exodus 19 and 10. The Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people. Sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. Be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Verse 12. Who's talking to Moses right now? The Lord. So why don't the Lord just set the boundaries? The Lord said to Moses, Bishop, You are going to set the bounds under the people. Listen very closely to what I'm telling you right here. This is the pressure of eternity weighing on the shoulders of this man that's standing in front of you tonight. He said, you're going to set the boundaries about the people and tell them, take heed to yourself. Listen to the language of this. That you go not up into the mount or touch the border. Now listen to the language. And whoever touches it, even if it's the border, they're going to be put to death. Hang with me right here, church. Somebody please tell me. The place where they're standing at the moment when the Lord is speaking to them and says, tell them don't touch the mountain. Who in the world wants the responsibility of saying, this is where the mountain begins? Have you all left me? He said, Mo, (laughs) I want you to start setting boundaries. And he said, I want the boundaries to be so clear That there's not only a mountain, but there's a border. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, God help us. So does the mountain begin at like 300 feet elevation? I mean, how high is the mountain? Where does it start? Because he said if your kids touch it, if your, if your livestock touches it, if they even touch the border of it, they're going to be put to death. And so there's one man standing between God and all these people. And the man says, okay, here's the mountain, but there's a clear border. And I don't even want you touching the border. Why was the border important? This is the value of a standard in your life. When the Lord doesn't want you climbing mountains, he sends you a man that gives you a border. We don't preach things in this church because we want to control people. We don't preach things in this church just because we want to be labeled old fashioned. We preach it because wherever there's a mountain, there has to be a border. And if you don't define the border, there cannot be life. That's good. That's so true. That's a good word. So is this a percentage-based value? When the gradient reaches 20%, is that where the mountain begins? Can I tell you that Jesus Christ took the same yoke on himself when he said, You have heard it said of old that if a man lies with another man's wife, he commits adultery. But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman in his heart, heart, he has already committed adultery. What was Jesus saying? He was saying there is not only the mountain of adultery, but there's a border of it. And if you'll stay away from the border of it, you'll never climb the mountain. I've come to tell you tonight, I believe when the Lord comes back, he's looking for a church that finds value in a landmark. They find value in the border. They find value in being holy and separated unto the Lord. Listen to what I'm telling you very closely. Please hear me. God told Moses, you set the boundary and I will honor it. That's scary. He said, if you say this is far enough, then I will enforce it. If you allow them to go this far, then I will honor it. Do you know why I value a landmark in my life? It's because I hadn't always been a pastor. And God gave me a pastor that taught me the border. He gave me a pastor that showed me where the mountain was. And he said, son, if you'll never touch the boundary, if you never touch the border, if you never step across the landmark. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying to you that so many of us could prevent heartaches and heartbreaks that we should never have to heal from if we would learn the value of the border. That's good. So good. good. I was reading a a book many, many years ago, and I've never forgot it. I would tell you the author's name, but I don't like the stuff he's written since then. He got off on the deep end. But he was writing a book about, uh, in this particular section, he was talking about integrity. And he said, look, it's this simple. If I say no to lunch, I'll never have to say no to going into her apartment. Does it get any better than that? Oh, God, this is so heavy church i hate to tell you this because you have chosen to sit under the leadership of this church you are accountable to your pastor for what the lord has led me to preach in this pulpit and as your pastor i am accountable unto god for declaring unto you the whole counsel of the word of the lord and i'm declaring to you tonight first thessalonians 5 and 21 I am declaring to you to prove all things, to hold fast to that which is good, to abstain from the very appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you who also will do it. A couple of key words, and I'm hurrying here. Are y'all still with me? Yes, sir. The very God of peace, sanctify you holy. Somebody say sanctify. Sanctify. Somebody say "Holy." holy. This is not H O L Y. This is W H O L L Y. Holy. Summation. Number one to sanctify means to purify to consecrate. Be physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, completely separated unto God. And holy means in the totality of it. The whole spirit, the whole soul, the whole body. In other words, there's not one part of you, soul, body, and spirit that is not submitted to the will of God. Oh Lord. Holiness is a process that God is working in our lives. I know some people don't like that thought and that idea, but I'm telling you right now, every day of my life, I'm learning to be more holy. Right. Yeah. Sure. I am. Well, Pastor, you're just supposed to know, I'm sorry, you got a novice over here. Because every day that I walk into the prayer closet of my life, I start looking in that glass and I behold his face. And I see how different his face is to my face. I see how different his heart is to my heart. And the only prayer I can pray is, God, if I've fallen short, forgive me. But would you please make me holy? It's His process in our whole spirit, our whole soul, our whole body. And this is the rest of it. Faithful is He that called you. Faithful is He that called you. That word means He is trustworthy. Tell your neighbor, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. The God that called us to holiness is trustworthy. Trustworthy. Tell your neighbor tonight, God can be trusted. You can trust that what God told you to do as holiness is not to harm you, but it's for your best interest. People who refuse to line up with biblical holiness fall into three categories. If you're keeping notes, you can write them down. Number one, they're unaware, they don't know, it's ignorance. They don't study the Bibles. They haven't been taught the word. They're new. They're fresh. They're a new disciple. They're ignorant to it. That's not an ugly word. It's It's a true word. They're ignorant. They don't understand it. The second, they're rebellious. They're rebellious against the word. They're rebellious against the teaching of the church, against the teaching of their pastor. And third, they just simply don't trust that the Bible can be trusted. I wish there were more options, but there's really not. They're either ignorant, they're rebellious, or they just don't think the Bible's true. Woo. If the Lord said it. There used to be a saying, the Lord said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, here's what you need to know. If the Lord said it, it's settled whether I believe it or not. Secondly, the scripture says that this faithful God is the one that calleth us. Somebody say, CALLETH. Calleth. The word is not that he called us in the past, it's not a past tense word, it is not a past tense verb. It is a continuation. He calleth, the scripture said, he calleth, in other words, he is calling right now. He didn't call us to holiness. He is calling us right now, every day. When new mercy comes with the sunrise, you're being called to holiness. You're being called to be separated. I'm telling you tonight that God is continually calling us. To you that have been in the church for a long time, you're not exempt from that. He's still calling you. He's calling your pastor. He's calling your bishop. He is calling us to holiness. I'm telling those of you who have not been in this church for a long time and you're just starting in your walk with God, that he's going to continue to call you into holiness. So you better get ready to get uncomfortable because God is always calling us to come closer to him and further away from the world. Don't let it scare you when God starts moving on your heart and you wake up one morning and try to put something on that you've always wore, and you feel that little tug in your spirit that says, that's not you anymore. And it's in that moment you realize you are bahaya. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Can I tell you tonight... That the blood of Jesus is not cheap. God will do it. New convert, new disciple. When he starts reaching for you, continues reaching for you. Don't back off from the very God of peace. Sanctify you wholly. And I pray that your whole spirit. Your whole soul and your whole body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Let me break this down. I'm hurrying. Paul prayed that God's holiness. Man, if you get tired, just stand up and stretch. Yawn real loud and say hallelujah while you do it. Ah! Paul prayed that God's holiness would take place. Follow me closely in your whole spirit, your whole soul. And your whole body, I'm fixing to teach to you something that will change your life if you'll listen to your shepherd tonight. Most people want holiness in their spirit because they want to go to heaven. They want to be saved. Most people want holiness in their soul, their heart, and their mind. Because they want peace in their life. But very often people don't want holiness in their bodies. They want to do whatever their outward person wants to do. No one can see their spirit. No one can see their soul. But if they submit their body a living sacrifice, it's not a secret to anybody what God has done in their life. Isaiah chapter 4, and we're going to break this down as quickly as I can. I hope you can even digest this tonight. Isaiah 4 and 1, I want the Holy Ghost to sweep in here right now and just set on every pew, every seat. Because I'm about to help somebody. Isaiah 4 and 1, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread, wear our own apparel. Only let us be called, by thy name to take away our reproach i don't have time to go into the depths of this tonight but i'm going to scratch the surface if i can notice what the prophet isaiah says seven women take hold of one man said we're going to eat our own bread wear our own clothes but we want his name it's a representation i believe of the seven churches in the book of revelation The seven churches mentioned, each of them represent not only the physical church, but a particular aspect of the end-time revival and the end-time church. Listen to me very closely. Seven women take hold of one man. Who would be the one man that the so-called Christian churches would take hold of? His name is Jesus Christ. Seven women take hold of one man. Somebody say one man. Seven women The seven women Take hold of one man Want that in your spirit But the seven women Said to the one man We'll eat our own bread And we'll wear our own garments God I feel such a strong power I I literally feel like The angel of the Lord Is standing here with me right now I know I'm in the Holy Ghost Repeatedly in the scripture Bread is likened to the word of God The seven women said We'll decide what word we eat We'll make our own doctrines We'll make our own gospel We'll eat our own bread We don't need your bread Furthermore we'll wear our own apparel We'll decide what we want to wear We don't want you giving us something to wear We don't want you to tell us what to wear. We'll wear what we want to wear. All we want is your name. If you give us your name, it'll take away our reproach. But we want our own bread, and we want our own garments. We want our own doctrine, and we want our own way of dressing. It's called a form of godliness. If you give us your name It will give us spiritual legitimacy The world will look at us and say they're legitimately a church Because they do it in the name of Jesus But what you don't understand is that they've eaten their own bread And they put on their own garments. And all the name was for was to remove some kind of a stigma off of their life. The women were saying, we'll no longer be viewed as rebellious as long as we've got your name. And that's where most of the religious world is today. And sadly, many apostolics are walking down that path. There's too many people that want his name, but they don't want his bread, and they don't want the apparel. What are you saying, Pastor? Well, let me just preach these last few minutes. They want miracles, signs, wonders, salvation, peace, deliverance, justification, and all the benefits that come with the name. But they want to decide what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear. This is not the will of God. If you take the name, you take the word. If you take the (laughs) I <laughs> want you to listen very closely to what I'm telling you right now. Please hear me. These are people who want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. They want a Redeemer. They don't want a ruler. Whew. Lord said through the apostle, as he was moved on by the Holy Ghost, he said, I pray that God would sanctify you wholly. Your whole body, your whole mind. Shh. Does this at all ring a bell with anybody, the language of this? Maybe you haven't connected this at all. Maybe you haven't. Spirit, soul, body. Does this ring a bell with anybody it's called the shema hero israel let's just put it up there tonight deuteronomy 6 and 4. does it get any better than this hero israel the lord our god somebody give it to me on the screen tonight the lord our god is one Lord. That ought to be on a shortcut button back there. My God. That ought to be just one big square button in the middle of the screen. Hero Israel. The Lord our God. That's good preaching right there. The Lord our God. Is one Lord. Go ahead. Verse 5. And thou shalt. Holy, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, somebody say all. all, God have mercy, you want to finish this brother Wendell, you got it holy, holy, thou shalt love the Lord thy God holy with all, everything you've got with all of it, with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, holy, everything you have, love him with that. You can't err in your ways when you love him with everything you've got because you're not in the constant war of having to pick sides of what you're going to do. I've got a question tonight, and I'm going to ask it with boldness in the Holy Ghost. I feel this in my spirit, and I want to know who is on the Lord's side The next time someone says to you That God isn't interested in your outward body I'm closing But it's a sign that they're eating their own bread And they're wearing their own garments But what you need to know is You can't take the name If you don't eat his bread Because you're not going to set your own table in the house of Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He said, if you got my name, I'll provide the bread. You can stand with me. There's no way I'm going to finish this. I, I even highlighted in my notes some things I, I need to hit, and I'm not there. I'm not even close. There are absolutely no scriptures anywhere in your Bible, anywhere in 66 books that are indicative whatsoever, 0% that say you can do whatever you want to do and God will allow it. It's not in the book. Nowhere is there permission for his children to eat their own bread and wear their own apparel and still keep his name. Holiness, by definition, Demands being withdrawn from something and separated to something else. I'm just reading straight out of my notes right now. I'm I'm trying to hurry. But you cannot be sanctified if you haven't separated yourself from something. If you haven't withdrawn yourself from something and attached yourself to something else. Now, I'm going to make a statement right here that's as strong as preaching as I'll ever do in my ministry. But you listen to Pastor when I tell you that people who are struggling with holiness are really struggling with being submitted to Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? You're not struggling with a church. Well, I just don't think that's necessary. You're not struggling with the church. You can't submit to the bread maker. Folks, I have a large family. God's blessed me. Both sides. I got a large family. Aunts, uncles, cousins, sisters, nephews, nieces. I, I got it. I got a big family. Big family. And in that family, at any given time, we have people who are sick. We have people who are well. We have people who are happy, we have people who are sad, we have people who are successful, and uh, some that aren't so much. There's no one surprised here, because that's the way your family is too. And so I just want to tell you that in a healthy church family, we have people who are old, we have people who are young, we have people who are new to the family, we have people who have been around forever. We have babies, and we have seniors. We have people that are spiritually sick, and we have people that are spiritually well, and we have people that are sad, and we have people that are happy. We have people who are successful, and we have people who are struggling, but we're all a part of the family. But here's the goal. The goal is is that the sick get well, and the sad get happy, and the struggling become successful, and the young become mature, and the sick become well, and it all happens with holiness. It moves us closer to his image. When someone's repented of their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, they are as saved as our bishop, but they're not as mature as our bishop. They're not as holy as he is. But they're pursuing the same holiness. Oh, I want to help somebody so bad. God starts convicting people's hearts. And the first question they want to ask when God convicts them is, is this a heaven or hell issue? So let me set the record straight tonight. Oh, God, help me. I'm, I'm done. Is this a heaven or hell issue? If I could step into the shoes momentarily of my father, my bishop tonight. Who is my pastor and overseer in my life as I oversee this church. I would say to you tonight that it's not always the matter, it's the spirit of the matter. And this is what you need to know. When God starts dealing with your heart, you either submit to the Word of God or you rebel against the Word of God. And rebellion is always a heaven or hell issue. Well, I'll show that preacher. You're not showing me anything. Cause I'm gonna keep loving you right. I'm gonna keep reaching for you there are people that have left this church they don't look like we do anymore and some that left this church and still look like us and I don't know why yeah. but one thing they've all gotten common folks listen to me when I tell you this tonight I so help me God if there's anything you you can't say about me it's not it said I'm not a loving person I love them if they've cussed me. I love them if they've done me wrong. I love people. When I walk in, I love people. I thank God for people. And this is what you need to know. You're not showing me anything. If you walk away from this message, I'm going to love you till it hurts. I'm going to reach for you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to text you. I'm going to go out to eat and drink coffee with you. I'm going to reach for you till you come back home or the Lord comes back. But this is what you need to know tonight. You're not showing pastor anything. You're rebelling against the Holy Ghost. And when you rebel against the Holy Ghost, you need to to know that rebellion is as the sin Of witchcraft and witchcraft Is devil worship therefore rebellion Glorifies Satan And diminishes God So to our new brothers And sisters cut them some Slack The Holy Ghost is working on Them to the people That know better You don't need slack tighten it up Jesus is coming You can't base your holiness on what somebody new is doing that don't understand why you've always done what you've done. You know how I knew when my daughters were starting to grow up? They quit wanting to do what each other did and they started wanting to do what their mama did. Because what mama did was more grown up than what their siblings did. Woo! I just preached right there, Brother Snow. You can tell when people are growing up in the Lord because they start wanting to do what their mama's doing. They'll start walking in holiness and they won't question it. They'll start living a separated life and they don't say, so you're saying if I don't do that, I'm going to go to hell. No, I'm saying if it costs me everything I've got to go to heaven, it's going to be worth whatever it costs me. But I believe in the value of a landmark and the landmark says that's a mountain and this is the border. And I don't want to touch the border and I don't want to climb the mountain. Whoever moves a landmark is in trouble. Let me say this with all the love and kindness I have in my heart. And I'm dismissing you. I did it in one hour and one minute. If you're looking for a landmark moving pastor, you're in the wrong house. I'm not saying this to be ugly and God knows my heart, but if you're looking for a pastor that'll move landmarks, I'll give you a letter, I'll release you I'll call whoever you want me to call And I'll send you And I'm going to pray that God convicts your heart so bad That you wake up one day And you say I have joined myself To a citizen of a far country And I'd rather go back to the house Where I was raised And when you come back We're going to kill the fatted calf And we're going to dance and we're going to shout And we're going to have revival But you ought to know this The house is going to look the same when you come home because we're not moving the landmarks. I love you and I thank God for you. Let's pray together. Father, your word is rich and powerful. Thank you for this precious congregation. I pray, God, that every word that's been spoken tonight would have been in love and kindness and they would feel the love of God permeate and saturate. I thank you, God, for our new babies who are reaching for higher heights every day. I thank you, God, for our precious saints that have been in truth for a long time that are still holding fast to the profession of their faith. And I pray that you would strengthen them and let our convictions grow stronger than they've ever been. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I plead the blood over this congregation and I pray that we would grow in you every single day. Keep us safe until we come back together again. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray and let the church say amen.